This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I've discovered over the years that if you save your big point for the end, people have often tuned you out. It doesn't matter how good a preacher you are. Half the people really don't listen much beyond the first minute. And so you really kind of have to give them something in that first minute. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Fritz Bauerschmidt. Fritz is a permanent deacon in the Archdiocese of Baltimore assigned to the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen. He is also a professor of theology at Loyola Maryland University, the Jesuit University in Baltimore, an author, a husband, and a father of three. Fritz, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Ricardo. Happy to be here. So you are the very first deacon to join us on Preach. It's a real joy to have you with us. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Thank you for extending it. In the homily that we're about to hear, you've chosen to reflect on the second reading, which may appear an unusual choice. Most often the homily would be drawn from the gospel, maybe the first reading, a little bit of the psalm, because we know these are often connected. You've chosen to preach on this reading, uh, today taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and you've really honed in on one sentence in that reading. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, once reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We'll link to these in our show notes, but how did you come to this idea of preaching on the second reading this week? Well, I think you correctly identified the sentence from that reading that jumped out at me. And of course, one of the challenges of preaching, particularly on Paul, is he often has these very long, connected arguments, right, that don't get easily divided up. And so it's really hard to preach on Paul unless you're going to be preaching on Paul to a congregation that can remember from week to week what was preached the week before, mm. and you stay on Paul for a long time. But every once in a while, Paul comes up with a one-liner that I think is really striking and sparks thoughts in my head, and that I think can, in a sense, stand on its own. And this was one of those weeks. So it was this idea that sin makes us enemies of God, and yet God reconciles us while we're still sinners. I read that and I thought, that'll preach. That'll preach. So you serving as a permanent deacon at the cathedral in Baltimore, and your primary audience is the parish congregation at the cathedral in Baltimore. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about the makeup of that congregation and who you're addressing in particular in this homily? Well, I would say that 
the congregation at the cathedral is actually quite diverse. It's in a fairly well-to-do section of Baltimore in the northern part of the city in what would have been a suburb 50 years ago. And so a number of our parishioners are professional people who you know live in that neighborhood or who come to the cathedral because it's the cathedral. We tend to get a fair number of immigrants, often from African countries or from the Philippines, who I think are drawn to the cathedral because it's a large, grand church and it's sort of the mother church of the diocese. We average about 800 people on a Sunday over the course of four masses. But I also think a cathedral is a place where people come who are sometimes feel marginalized by the church, oddly enough, because it's a place you can come and sit in the back pew and nobody's going to like engage you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then the challenge in preaching in that kind of context is how can I engage people who are just sitting in the back pew and maybe hanging on to their Catholicism by their fingertips? Which probably connects to your other vocation as a professor of theology or as a teacher, right? Where you're often trying to engage people in the classroom when it's difficult to get their attention. Yes, yes. It's hard to get their attention. And they also, you know, many 18, 19, 20-year-olds, even if they were raised Catholic, they feel somewhat marginally attached to the church. So it's a it's a similar sort of challenge, a different genre, but a similar challenge. Wonderful. So would you like to give a shout out to the community, whomever you're directing this homily at? Well, so this may very well end up being preached at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen on the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time. This is for you, Cathedral of Mary Our Queen. Wonderful. I can't wait to hear this homily. We will now hear Fritz Bauschmidt's homily for the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. In a song entitled Enemies, the rapper Post Malone sings Used to have friends, now I got enemies. Used to keep them close, now they dead to me. It's too late to turn this mess around. Actually, he doesn't say mess. He uses a word that you can use in hip-hop, but you can't really use in the pulpit. So I'll just say mess. Now, I don't know Mr. Malone or even much about him, so I don't know how sincerely he holds this view. But I do know that God has something different in his approach to his enemies, an approach that is, for us, good news. In our second reading, St. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, here the good news comes wrapped up in bad news, and you can't really ignore the bad news and simply focus on the good news, because you can't appreciate how good the good news is apart from the bad news. The bad news is that sin makes us God's enemies. We sometimes try to soft-pedal this bad news. We speak of mistakes or flaws or say that sin separates us from God, suggesting perhaps that we're like a wandering child in the mall separated from an inattentive parent. But there's no soft-pedaling in Paul. He is clear that sin brings about a radical rupture in our relationship with God. As Post Malone might put it, God used to keep us close, but now we're dead to him. We're dead in our sin because we're cut off from the source of all life. 
And our enmity toward God spreads forth into enmity toward each other. Friendship with God lost, friendship with each other becomes impossible. The world becomes a place of savage competition as we each try to cling to the scraps of life left to us. We are, as Paul says, sinners, ungodly, helpless. Bad news indeed. But it's only when we recognize the devastation that sin has wrought in our relationship with God that we can really grasp the astonishing glad tidings that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not too late to turn this mess around. Because God does not wait for us to make the first move, for us to make a gesture of friendship or reconciliation. No, God steps into the full fury of our rejection, our hatred and cruelty, the kind of furious cruelty that we reserve for our worst enemies. On the cross, Jesus bears the full force of our enmity toward God and each other. And he does this because he loves us, enemies that we are, sinners, ungodly, helpless. And this is how God differs from Post Malone and from us. Paul says that maybe we might find it in ourselves to die for a good person, a beloved friend or a family member, or we might give our life for some abstract ideal like our nation or religion, but no one dies for their enemy. Yet the astonishing glad tidings of Christ is that this is precisely what God does so that we might be justified reconciled, brought back into friendship with God. Certainly by human standards, we might agree with Post Malone, it's too late to turn this mess around. There are lines that are crossed that cannot be uncrossed, acts of betrayal that make people dead to us, make relationships beyond repair. But God's not like that. God is, Paul tells us, the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. For God, who holds our lives in his hands, it's never too late to turn this mess around, no matter how devastating the damage. So what does this mean for us? How do we live out this restored friendship with God through Jesus Christ? Here, the good news within the bad news becomes news that brings challenge and hope. Just as lost friendship with God makes friendship with each other impossible, God's resurrection of that friendship makes it possible to live in friendship with each other once again. Jesus says to the disciples he sends out in today's gospel, without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. Without cost, we who were God's enemies have received mercy and reconciliation. Without cost, we who are now God's friends are to extend mercy and reconciliation to others. We are to show mercy even to our enemies. We are to show mercy especially to our enemies. Because in doing this, our love becomes most like God's love. Jesus challenges his followers, those enemies whom he has made into friends, to see their own enemies not as those to be abandoned as if dead, but as sheep lost without a shepherd, 
as an abundant harvest waiting to be gathered into the community of God's friends, as those who are waiting to hear the glad tidings that it's never too late to turn this mess around. So let us pray that the God whose mercy makes us friends will have mercy on us all. That was Fritz Bauerschmidt for Preach. After the break, we'll hear how Fritz connects poetry and rap to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Welcome back to Preach. Fritz, your homily was an education. <laughs> I've never even heard of Post Malone. <laughs> what inspired you to draw from his lyrics? Well, often when I'm trying to generate ideas for a homily, I'll find a theme, a concept, a person, a figure, and search the internet for poetry about this idea or theme. But in my search, I came across this song by Post Malone, and I was not previously familiar with the song. But what I quote is from the refrain, and it struck me as like, yeah, this is how we think. This is how we talk about enemies. Yeah, you're dead to me. Yeah, there's no way to turn this around. Hmm. Line is drawn. I'm moving on. I mean, that's thousands of pop songs, right? <laughs> this song in particular just sort of seemed to crystallize what seems to most of us a common sense attitude towards enemies, but which Paul is saying is precisely the opposite of God's attitude towards us. Yeah, and then you weave it beautifully with the letter to the Romans. But you mentioned poetry, and that was really one thing that stuck out to me when you submitted your homily to preach. It's written in poetic verse. <laughs> and then I went back in your blog, and I think right back to 2008, and you were ordained in 2007, a deacon, and I saw that this is a technique that you clearly employ for writing homilies. You write in poetic verse. I wonder, again, what is the strategy here in doing that? I think in some cases, it's a strategy that was sort of born of necessity. The first church I served as a deacon and the cathedral where I now serve are both extraordinarily resonant places mm -hmm. in which singing it's a great space. The spoken word, it's a real challenge. And so as I was thinking about how do you deliver the homily, you really have to have the pauses built in, right? And I do spend a lot of time toiling over precise word choices and phrasing and thinking about the rhythm of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is simply my way of living out some high school aspiration to be a poet. I don't know. But it seems to work. So... It is also rare for me to experience deacons preaching. You know, I was ordained in July 21, and I don't actually think I've heard a single deacon, transitional or permanent, preaching since I was ordained. So deacons bring a particular perspective to ministry, in my view. You seem to have to juggle many lives, right? I mean, you're a parent, you're a professor, you have a career, a profession as a teacher, and then you're also a minister, minister of the word, minister to the sick, very particular ministries in the diaconate. What about the diaconate do you think is unique in terms of your homilies? Well, I do think one of the things that's interesting about the diaconate is the way in which the different areas of your life sort of intersect with each other. 
while we are canonically clerics, we have not been formed in a clerical system. Mm -hmm. We have a different experience of clerical identity and a kind of an alternative clerical identity that I think we just experience the world in a way that I think is different from priests who are clerics. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And I think it brings something different into the pulpit. If you had to summarize the main point of your homily, what would you say that is? I think I would say that the grace of God is so powerful that it doesn't really matter where we are. It matters where God is. And where God is, is with us, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. Great. So let's look specifically at this homily and the structure of today's homily. I've come up with a structure. It could be wrong, (laughs) but I'd like to talk through it. And then maybe you can also tell me, no, actually, I think I was doing something different there. But certainly you've started with a rapper's verse. You've gone to something which people connect with very clearly. And it seems to me, again, that it's pretty intentional because you're preaching to an audience, a diverse audience. But as you said earlier, you also teach undergraduates. And so to have this idea of what is in the mind of undergraduates, well, rap. So you've got this used to have friends. Now I got enemies used to keep them close. Now they're dead to me. It's too late to turn this mess around. And then you come almost immediately to what I would call a complication. And you say, in this statement, good news comes wrapped in bad news. And you give us a response to it almost immediately as well. You say, you can't really ignore the bad news, simply focus on the good news because you can't appreciate how the good news is apart from the bad news. And then you actually start to develop it. Yeah, I've discovered over the years that if you save your big point for the end, people have often tuned you out. It doesn't matter how good a preacher you are. Half the people really don't listen much beyond the first minute. And that might be an exaggeration, but there are certainly going to be people there who, after a minute, the child's going to get fussy, their mind's going to wander, they're going to start looking at something in the stained glass. And so you really kind of have to give them something in that first minute. And I really appreciated that. I mean, in my alternate training, also as a journalist, I mean, we taught that, right? That you really need to give people where the story is going. You can't hold it till the very end because you're not going to hold the attention, especially in this click economy. You then have a section which I call sort of development. I mean, you connect to the scriptures, you connect to spirituality, you connect to God, you connect to human life. There's a gentle critique of culture. I wonder if you can take me through what you're doing in that second part of the homily. Well, I think I am trying to show how difficult it is for us to take in Paul's word that sin makes us enemies of God, you know, that we do like to soft pedal it and that Paul's language doesn't allow us to do that. But then there's that post Malone piece. So there's, a, in a sense, a two-sided cultural critique, right? So one part of the critique is we soft pedal sin. We don't want to say that sin makes us enemies of God. But the other part of the critique is then how do we think about our enemies? Right. Hmm. And the reason we have to soft pedal sin, the reason why Paul's words about us being enemies of God seem so shocking, it's both we can't believe we're that bad and we can't believe that our enemies are redeemable. Mm-hmm. As it says in scripture, the, the word of God is a two edged sword in this case. 
The soft pedaling thing I find interesting because, you know, we do try to, I think, soft pedal the good news sometimes. And sometimes the word of God needs to be challenging. Sometimes it's clearly challenging from the readings. It's clear that that's what Paul is doing with the community, the Romans. So how do you hold your congregation when you have a difficult message to deliver? Well, I think one of the things you have to reconcile yourself to is you're never going to find a way to deliver a difficult message that everybody is going to be able to take in. And that's has been a hard lesson for me to learn as a preacher, because I want people to like me. I tend to be a people pleaser. Welcome to the club. <laughs> but there are occasionally times when you have to say things that you know that some people are going to get angry at you for saying. And you don't want to just write those people off. I mean, you you say these things because you hope that they'll be able to take them in, that that'll spark a thought. Or at least if they are going to then come and disagree with you, you can have a respectful, productive discussion. Now, in the case of preaching, I've discovered that if people get consistently angry at the things you preach, they just go find some other field to graze in. Which is in some ways a shame, right? Mm -hmm. And this one has that challenge, right? Because you're clearly criticizing a prevailing culture and you're using a prevailing medium in the culture, rap, right? And you're saying, actually, your rapper guy, he's got this wrong. <laughs> That's not how God thinks about our enemies. And the countercultural message here is the good news, or at least the section at the end, you know, that I think I call the good news, which is probably nothing novel, but you really leave people with something. First of all, you prompt their questions. So you say, so what does this mean for us? How do we live out this restored friendship with God through Jesus Christ? And then you say, here, the good news within the bad news becomes news that brings challenge and hope. And you really end with that, that God has mercy on us. I wonder if you can talk about that final good news element. Yes. Yeah, so during the pandemic, I uh, began when worship was, was shut down. I actually still served as a deacon at the cathedral at the live streamed masses to 2,000 empty pews. But I also began giving kitchen table homilies. And it really struck me that very first week when everything was shutting down, what I really wanted to say was, may God have mercy on us all. And I don't always end my homilies with some reference to God's mercy, but I would say nine times out of 10, I do, mm -hmm. because I think that it is just intrinsic to the gospel that we are saved sheerly through God's mercy. Viewing the gospel through the lens of mercy, I think, really speaks to our condition today because we are so tempted in our culture to be unmerciful, right? To say, you've crossed the line, there's no going back. So mercy, in a simple sense, is a recognition that we've fallen short of the mark, and yet that we can still move forward, right? That we can still move forward in God's grace, in God's love. I wonder, is there a piece of advice that you've heard over your years, maybe it's critique, really, that's been merciful for you and helpful in your preaching? Well, the one remark about my preaching that has stuck with me most over the years was given to me after... I'd been preaching for about four or five years. It's given to me by a woman named Mary Jane O'Brien, who is now gone to, as I say, she now worships the heavenly liturgy. <laughs> but Mary Jane was somebody who would very much describe herself as a Vatican II Catholic. 
But she came up to me one, one Sunday and said, you know, you can find those old guys saying the most interesting things. <laughs> and it wasn't really a critique. It was more of an observation. But I also took it as a kind of word of encouragement to think of our tradition, our theological tradition, the tradition of the saints and the mystics as a kind of a treasure chest. And what you're trying to do as a preacher is not kind of sort through the treasure chest for the good bits, but you're trying to actually find a way to open up that treasure chest for other people. Well, I hope that our preachers listening and our listeners listening who are not preachers will certainly find fruit in that and will find ways to open up the scriptures and the sacred readings of the church fathers and other spiritual readings because of what you've shared with us today. So thank you, Fritz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christabel Spielman. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please check the link in the show notes for a link to our submissions form. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. One more thing. Did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every single day? If you are already a digital subscriber, they're in your inbox, probably. Just go take a look. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. The link is also in the show notes. For American Media, I'm Ricardo da Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. <laughs>